Hey Podnuts, Corey here from Instant House Call. Whether you're a break-fix tech who needs to provide remote support on demand without pre-installed software, or a managed service provider who wants to connect to unattended PCs anytime, Instant House Call makes remote support easy. I want to invite you to try Instant House Call free for yourself. Go to podnuts.com and click on the link in the show notes, then use the promo code PODNUTS. Instant House Call is the best remote support on earth. We can prove it. Try it free now and see for yourself. Welcome to PodNuts Daily, episode number 488, a show for computer repair techs by computer repair techs. I'm your host, Jeff Alish. I'm joined today by Matt Ham from Computer Repair Doctor. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, thank you, Jeff. Happy to be here. Good to have you. So let's go ahead and dive back in time a little bit and see uh, basically where did you get started in fixing computers or what got you into this field at all? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been fixing computers, I don't know, pretty much my whole life. You know, my first professional computer repair job was actually when I was like 16. Uh, so I started working for a big a big software company called SAS. They do like statistical analysis software. Um, and I worked in their hardware division and as a, as a technical student. And that was kind of my first foray into professional com- computer hardware repair. We they fixed things. Uh, we did on-site service for our, our customers there, our employees. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my first my first dive in. And ever since 16, I've always had computer repair as my profession in one way, shape, form, or another. And it just kind of evolved into eventually owning my own business. Okay. And so there's probably a lot of people out there that want to know. So how old are you now? I'm um, 30. Okay. So you've been doing this quite a while. Yes, as, as for computer pair, absolutely. That's that's very true. Yeah, that's almost like uh, four lifetimes worth. <laughs> yeah, 14 <laughs> years seems like four lifetimes for me. You know, that's that's quite a while. I can't remember a time when I wasn't opening things up and fixing them. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I did hardware support for them. So um, after a year or two of working either summers, you know, cause I was in, I was in high school at the time. So working summers or, or I, I think my senior year, I mean, worked throughout the year in addition to school and, and sports and stuff. So I started running their like hardware, uh, their, they call it their repair bench. Basically all the employees computers got filtered through there. So I guess I got started at a, at a pretty young age professionally, um, for this job. So yeah, it was, it was great. It was a good experience for me. Now, what made you decide to go into business for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, w- I went up to New York for grad school. When I was in grad school in New York, I was looking for a, a part-time position, you know, just something to bring in some money. Um, and I started working for, you know, like an actual computer repair shop. You know, I was no longer in the corporate, you know, fixing machines for the corporate environment. It was an actual, you know, computer repair shop. It was called Laptop MD. They fixed phones, tablets, computers, you know, the typical shop that everyone has. And so kind of working there, I, I enjoyed it. I mostly what I enjoyed was the small business atmosphere. And, um, you know, I worked with the owner and over the course of a year or two, I was able to, to work my way up and kind of quadruple their revenue and start running the actual company with the owner there. Um, so then after, after a couple of years in New York, my wife got into med school at FSU down in Tallahassee. Um, so we moved down to Florida and when she started med school, I said, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to open up my own shop. Um, and so I did. Wow. Okay. 
So now, did you? So before then, you really had no aspirations of necessarily opening up a shop. Yeah, no, I I had just kind of you know it was one of those jobs that I just kind of fell into because I knew hardware support, tech support, I enjoyed it. Um, but I went to school for mechanical engineering. You know, I got a I got a master's from Columbia University in mechanical engineering. Um, so you know that's kind of where I was headed. But you know, I I really enjoyed that small business environment. I really enjoyed once I started kind of running Laptop MD in New York, I really enjoyed, you know, managing it, being responsible for bottom line things, you know, like profit and bringing in jobs and then everything that it takes to put together and run a shop. And I really, I guess I really enjoyed business. Um, and I enjoyed the the tech and the, the computer repair aspect. Um, so yeah, it put it all together and opened my shop down in Tallahassee and I don't really know what my long-term plans were, um, but you know, since then, in the last four, four and a half years, we've grown it to eight locations, about to have our ninth, and um, things are just moving on, moving forward. So nice. Now, had you so you probably didn't plan on expanding out to more than one location, did you? And are these within the same state, or are these across the state lines, or how does all that work? Yeah, so most of them are along the East Coast. Um, I, I hadn't necessarily, I guess I didn't have a particular plan. I hadn't necessarily said, hey, you know, I definitely want to open up a ton of locations and make this big. Um, but I did go into it, you know, saying, I'm either going to open up multiple locations or this is going to be a thing for a few years and then I'm going to move on. Um, I was, you know, I wasn't going to be happy opening and running one location for the rest of my life. And that, not that there's anything wrong with that. That's great. Um, you know, that's just not what, my plan was. But going into there, you know, I specifically chose a name computer repair doctor that didn't have anything to do with Tallahassee or the panhandle because a lot of the competitors that I started against had the word, you know, panhandle in there, Tallahassee. And I said, hey, you know, that's a little too specific. So I did kind of think I may go multiple locations, but it wasn't, you know, the absolute goal. Um, But yeah, now we have we have two stores in Tallahassee. Uh, We have one in the Orlando area in Winter Park. Uh, we have one in Davie, Florida. We have one in Raleigh, North Carolina, one in Charleston, South Carolina, one in Monroe, Louisiana, uh, one up in, and then we're managing the one up in New York um, that I used to run up there. So I think I got them all. And then we have one opening in Cleveland actually next week. Um, so we're kind of scattered all around. Um, not too many, a couple in Florida, but besides that, not too many in the same state. They're just kind of across the East Coast there. Okay. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. So now are you, are, are these like, are, do you own them or are they like a franchise or how does all that yeah. work? No, that's, that's, that's absolutely a great question. Um, so I own computer repair doctor, like the corporate company outright. Um, a couple of the locations that we have do have co-owners, uh, the Charleston store and the Monroe, Louisiana store. Those were actually under a different name, um, run by a colleague of mine. Um, and he got another opportunity that that was really great for him. So we kind of stepped in and took over half of that company and rebranded them as Computer Repair Doctor stores. Um, and our Davy Florida store also has a fifty percent investor. Um, so they're all corporate stores. A couple of them have you know fifty percent ownership of someone else. Um, but we're we're going to be pursuing the franchise model later this year. The one that's opening next week in Cleveland. Um, that one's actually being opened by one of my former employees. Um, so that one, it's kind of kind of start as a partnership because we don't have the franchising completely tied up. Um, but that location by the end of this year is going to be a, a true franchise. 
Um, and then, yeah, hopefully we're going to, we're going to keep moving on the franchise front. We, I, we have another employee, um, that really wants to open up a franchise in, in St. Pete, Florida. Um, and then, you know, eventually we'll start pushing it and maybe recruiting and offering other people the opportunity to do the same. Now, franchising is such a cool deal because you can have a system that's already put in place, which you are a, forgive me, but you're a weird tech because you actually like the business side and the fixing technology side, which is not normal. <laughs> yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. You know, I, I obviously come across a lot of techs and, you know, not too many of them like or enjoy the, the business aspect of things, but that's kind of what got me into this. You know, I grew up doing the tech aspect of things, um, but it's the business aspect, I think, that, that intrigues me a little more. Um, and so, you know, I, I've done plenty of years, you know, doing the, the day-to-day opening up, fixing, hands-on repairing, and it's satisfying. You know, I enjoy doing it. I enjoy having a broken computer in front of me and turning around and making it fixed. I really enjoy when the shop's busy and, you know, we're just churning them out. You know, that I love. It's satisfying. But I think my long-term goal is kind of to move more into the business. You know, I haven't been able to repair machines in a, in a little bit of a while now. But um, but I think this I think this business is is perfect for franchising because I think exactly what you described is that I am a little weird because most techs don't enjoy the business aspect of things. And what I've learned is that with the right processes in place, you know, you can run a number of stores and you can run them well if you've got, you know, a lead tech there who can do the tech very well. And then we kind of handle all the business aspects of things. So right now all, all our stores are corporate, but, you know, we, we tend to have an employee at every store who's a, a great tech, a lead tech, and kind of runs that aspect. And we take care of the business end of things and it, it works well. That's why I think that franchising is such a perfect, perfect model for this industry. Yeah. It's one of those things where a lot of people out there, they want to have processes and stuff put together, but most of us, especially us solopreneurs, uh, we, we tend to kind of just get stuff in and throw a bunch of stuff at it and try to get it back out as quickly as possible and then go, Oh, did I forget to, because we don't have those processes in place. So if somebody's going to build the processes, that's perfect because a lot of those techs just want to fix the computers. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I if you if you in this field long enough and you become an experienced owner, a lot of times the processes of actually fixing something will be second nature to you, right? The diagnosing process for a device or the actual repair process, a lot of that becomes second nature, you know, but what what really helps i you know i think what we really put in place that's helped a lot is things like processes for intaking jobs for communicating with customers for ordering and tracking parts uh you know for accepting payment or for in training and hiring new employees or for marketing or for you know cash tracking and management or for accounting you know there's the list goes on and on and on of all the processes that you can put in place but if you pair those processes with a really good tech, it, it just works very well. And I think there's a lot of people, exactly like you said, who are experienced as technicians and who are great at, you know, the hands-on repair aspect of things and who have those skills built up over years um, and could do a lot, you know, with someone bringing, bringing in the business side. And that's what we've spent, honestly, the, lot, the, the bulk of the last four years doing is, is trying to 
perfect those, you know, iteration, iterating towards perfection, you know, putting something in place and then improving upon it and changing it, you know, just for example, ordering parts, you know, we've gone through so many different iterations of, of how we get parts to stores. You know, we've, we've established the distribution center and then we, we got rid of our distribution center. You know, we've ordered in bulk from China and split it up. And then we've, we've gone individually with some stores and, you know, we've tried different vendors and we've gone through so many different processes to try to just find the best and fastest and most efficient way to, to get parts to a store and then to return them when the parts aren't bad. Um, and we've learned a lot in the process. And I think, you know, we've put a lot of great systems in place um, that allow, allow us to scale at a, at a pretty good, at a pretty good pace. Now, do you, in your opinion, is there ever a time where you feel that the processes and things that we put together in our businesses are ever completely 100% done? Or is this something that can always be looked at and improved upon over time? Oh, yeah. It's, it's never 100% done. Everything can always be improved upon. You know, we, as I feel like every time we take a step forward, we see two more steps that need to be taken to go to perfection. You know, the, the farther and farther we go, the more that we realize we're not there, you know, and it doesn't matter what size company you are. You know, it's, if it's, it's let's say Apple designing their iPhones, right? Well, they come out with a new model every year. Aren't they going to come out with the perfect model eventually? Well, you know, no, because they're always building, they're always improving, they're always finding different ways. And, you know, I think that the computer repair industry is still, still pretty young, you know, as far as work industries go. And I think we're a long way um, from anything remotely resembling perfection, but, you know, we're going to try to keep improving those processes and trying to get there. But yeah, to answer your question, very straightforward. No, it's always something that, that can be approved upon in, in one way, shape, form or another. It's, it's just the question of, is it good enough that I can start focusing my attentions elsewhere? Or, you know, it, the more time and money I put into improving this process, is that the best use of my time and money? Or should I invest it somewhere else in the company that's going to have a a much larger effect, right? Those are, those are the real questions. You know, it's funny you say things like uh, we're still young in this industry, which is what I, I I believe 100%. But I don't know if you've heard or not, but there's a lot of people out there that say IT is dead. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> IT is never going to be dead. It's going gonna, it's gonna to transform, right? So, you know, I think one of the reasons I say the computer industry is young is because I think it's, it's, the computer and phone electronics repair industry is very much maturing right now. And I think smartphones had everything to do with that. You know, I think with the advent of smartphones, you know, obviously it, it reduced the sale of computers, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what it also did was it introduced a number of very specific and easily repairable models. And it got tons of people into this game. And the more and more competitors that started jumping into this game, you know, they, they, as a whole, we started maturing. We started, you know, putting more, more guidelines, more, you know, quality guidelines, repair guidelines in place across the board. And, you know, you got much more structured approaches to things. It, you know, it's the same reason, whereas, you know, unfortunately, more and more mom and pop shops, mom and pop shops are being put out of business by more and more corporate chains. Um, you know, which is always a shame to, to see that. But at the same time, the corporate chains are delivering a better experience to the customer because of higher quality. And, you know, that, that comes from 
the maturing of this industry. You know, the fast food industry, all you're going to see is these chains, you know, it's because it's, it's very set industry. But, you know, the computer repair from 10 years ago is very different than computer repair today. And I think it'll be different again in 10 years, but it's not going to be dead. IT is definitely not going to be dead. You know, it's going to, it's going to change and it's going to evolve and it's going to be different. Um, there's going to be different ways to go about it, but it's, it's never going to be dead. Well, I think the other thing too, is a lot of people look at the smartphones as taking over the industry. And I look at smartphones and I go, I, to be honest with you, I'd rather stick a fork in my eye than have to compute on that all day long. Now, not to say that people don't, I understand that they do, but they also don't do the things that even what I would call normal people, you know, a lot of my customers are still on a desktop or a laptop and that's where they get their work. The majority of their work done. They don't get it done on a smartphone. Smartphone is great for entertainment, checking your email, but can you imagine actually typing a response back on a smartphone to a client that sent you a message? You can, you can send them a quick message in Google's awesome about this. They'll give you three responses at the bottom of your emails on your, on your phones now. And you click, yeah, sounds great. Or I'll see you later or whatever, whatever the, the email had to do with. Yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, I think that what's happening um, and smartphones were the first one into it is that, you know, it's moving just from there's computers and computers access the internet. It's moving into much more of a diverse array of devices that can get online and each one of those devices has its pros and cons and different ways that it fits in. I think that smartphones are one of the best ways to communicate, um, you know, not long communication, but quick communication, um, you know, but you're absolutely right that the majority of the work still gets done on computers. You know, you don't walk into a corporate office and see a bunch of people sitting in cubicles on their phones, you know, you <laughs> see them in front of a desktop. And there's a reason for that. You know, you can type a lot faster, you can browse a lot easier, you can set up multiple screens, everything's bigger, you know, and it's the same thing for me. You know, I, I go hard on my phone. I, I do a whole lot of work on my phone. Um, you know, uh, if I go to the, I go to the gym usually for about an hour every afternoon and in between sets, I'm always on my phone sending one message to another or my tech or someone. And so I, I type a lot on my phone, but if I'm sitting down on in front of my computer with my phone next to me, yeah, I'm, I'm on my computer hundred percent of the time because it's, you're right. It's just so much easier. And so I think that that's, you know, that's a pro that's of, a, of computers, whether it's a desktop or a, a laptop that isn't going anywhere, you know, and that's, that's exactly right. I think we're going to see a much more diverse array of devices that get online. And I think that's what's being experimented with right now, you know, with the watches after the phones, it was watches, right? And you can, everyone can gauge the success of that for themselves, but then it's, it's tablets, you know, it's, and then it's the convertible tablets that can, it can be a tablet or a laptop, right? And so I think that's, that's the manufacturers just trying to figure out what type of products can solve what specific problems better for consumers. Um, but yeah, I don't see anything solving the problem of a computer better than it does today. And if it does, you know, we'll start repairing those too. So. Right. Exactly. Now, when you were, when you were doing hardware in all that, uh, you said you guys did phones, obviously you were doing laptops. Did you mo do motherboard level repairs or what types of repairs were those? Yeah. So, you know, we were one of those companies that says we'll fix anything with a power button, Right. So a lot of devices don't make sense to fix because of the cost of the device, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, we, we fix pretty much everything. You know, I think that most 
most chains, most computer repair stores, they do not perform many board level repairs these days. You know, I think what's what's pretty common is that board level repairs go down to, you know, like liquid damage repair people do, power jack repair, resolder a new power jack, absolutely. You know, but when it comes down to replacing fuses or trying to, you know, do that kind of stuff, I think that's very rare um, because of the equipment that's needed, the skill that's needed, um, as well as the difference in cost that, between just replacing something. And, and fixing it. You know, I think that there are specialty stores that do it, um, but we don't do much of that. We do have employees that can. Uh, one of our employees in our, in our Raleigh store um, can replace, you know, the graphics chips on a number of motherboards. He can replace the iPhone 6 Plus. What's the, uh, the name? I'm drawing a blank on it. Uh, Whether it has the touch disease, he can replace that chip for the touch disease. I mean, he can do a lot of board level repairs that most of our techs can't because frankly, it's just not as common these days. You know, I think shops like, um, Lewis Rossman shop up in, up in New York. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's got some great YouTube videos. I had lunch with him one of the last times or two I was in New York. They specialize in motherboard repairs and, you know, liquid damage repairs. And he's got a ton of videos on kind of board level repairs. Right. And I think that they bring in a good amount of stuff for that. You know, there's also iPad Rehab. I think she's up in the New York area and she does a lot of board level repairs as well. But I think I think those those specialists exist because most shops realize that most board level repairs these days, it just doesn't make sense to do. You know, quote the customer for a new motherboard, maybe, you know, maybe send the board off for a repair if they can wait, you know, three weeks for it to be sent off, fixed you know, sent back, but I don't think it's the kind of thing that most shops commonly do. And that's the same thing for us. You know, if they really want it done, we mail it to our Raleigh shop, they handle it there. You know, I think you break, I fix is the same thing. Um, it's a pretty, that, that's my, that's my take on board level repairs to give you a long answer to a short question. No, that's a great answer because I think a lot of people, they don't realize that you don't necessarily need to do that. And I guess the caveat would be, uh, a couple of businesses you mentioned were, I, I believe, Mac-centric businesses or Apple-centric businesses. And when you're paying anywhere from $500 to thousands of dollars for a device, you might be able to justify it at that point to do a board-level repair, depending on what it is. But for on the PC side, stuff is so cheap, it's just really not worth it. And usually when you're doing that, from what I've seen on the PC side, those computers are four years old. And at that point, I just turn around and go, you need a new computer. Yeah. In, in a lot of people, they want to get 10 years out of a device. I understand that. It's just not a reality. Even the phones nowadays, when you look at a phone, I get the latest, greatest phone that comes out, whatever it is, doesn't really matter. It's good for about two years before I really start to see problems. It's still working pretty good, but... I, yeah, I'm getting to that point where, you know, all of a sudden when something breaks and I see something go wrong in the software or hardware at that point, I'm going, it's time to replace the phone. And that's two years. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you made some valid points. I would actually argue that some of those time frames can be a little longer. You know, I, I'm very much the same way on phones. I get a new one every year just because I don't know, just because I do. Cause you um, can, but yeah, exactly. But I, I don't, I, I haven't had too many problems uh, with my phone. I, I actually think they last 
a good amount of time. If I had to peg a, a good time frame for the average person for a phone, I'd probably say four, four and a half years. You know, I think that they they can outlast the the two um, the two years there. I mean, if obviously a lot of us, especially us techs, really want the latest and greatest, and I, I think all of my employees are considered in there. You know, but we fix. Like today, we're fixing a ton of iPhone 6s. I think the iPhone 6 and the 6S are the most common phones that we fix. I think the 6, we still fix more of those than anything else. And I mean, that's that's how many years now? You know, that's the 7, the 6S, the 6, that's three generations back. Um, so maybe, maybe not four and a half, maybe three and a half. But on the computer end of things, you know, I think that computers are starting to last longer and longer. Um, you know, I think 10 years is a lot, um, but I think we're starting to see a lot of longer and longer lifespans. Um, and that's one of the, the reasons that, you know, I don't worry so much about repairs because, you know, I think people, it's not at a point where, where people should just be junking them and getting new ones, you know, 10 years is a lot, but honestly, most of my compute, most of the, most of the machines that we use in our stores are 10 year old desktops with an SSD in them. And one of our most popular services is taking four year old computers throwing a solid state drive in there and doing a reinstall and that thing flies. Um, and I think that's a great option for a lot of consumers because if you, you know, if you're working in, in an industry or a job that you really need a powerhouse processor or you really need strong, you know, computing performance, then yeah, maybe, maybe you upgrade, you know, if you're a corporate company and you're considering total cost of ownership, then yeah, you know, I think four and a half years is a good time frame for a laptop, but um, I think the average person can get by with with more and more these days because I think that you know unless they're buying these cheap two hundred three hundred dollar machines though those will fall apart. But if you buy a decent machine, I think you can get a lot of years out of them. Well, and you said it right there. That's that's the caveat because you're right. If you spend seven eight hundred dollars for a laptop, let's say that laptop will last longer than the average. The problem is most people are buying the three hundred dollar off the shelf all plastic, nothing to it, laptops that I, I don't know about your customers, but my customers seem to be uh, very harsh on their equipment because <laughs> by the time I get it, I go, did you do, you know, drop this in a sink several times, uh, you know, dog run over it or whatever. It's it's like, so they, they tear them up. In a desktop, I totally agree with you. You can get a lot longer. The problem is a lot of these people are buying very inexpensive things. That's a good point. And they're not going to last as long. And the other thing, too, with a desktop, it, this is probably the same with a laptop, too, but I see it in a desktop a lot where you get, depending on the household, you get a bunch of stuff clogging the fan up on the video card or the CPU, and the next thing you know, this thing's not working. And you're like, if you would have just blown this out every six months or whatever, but most people don't know how to get into their, their machines. And a lot of times I will try to, if somebody's using a computer for internet surfing and stuff like that, and they, they're used to having a desktop with a bigger screen, I'm like, if you're not going to move it, that's perfect. Let's get you a small form factor machine that has a video card that's either on board or a video card that has no moving parts, no fan. And so we're not collecting all this stuff. Now, obviously, a CPU is still going to have a fan on it for the most part, somewhere in that system. So. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, that, that's that's a great point. I think that those people too are are great um, great customers for for repair shops like ours because 
you know, if they're just using it for internet browsing, you know, and the problem is just that the fans got clogged, you can bring it into a shop like ours, you know, we, we unclog that and boom, they're back in business. Good to go. You know, they don't need too much performance, but yeah. And now have you, so you haven't ran any problems with, uh, replacing, I, I go back on the, on the fence with SSDs and I know this is, this is just my thinking, but it's something I, I wrestle with constantly. To me, it's a great service to speed an old machine up. You throw an SSD in. The problem is, is it most of the time using software on a spinning hard drive, 98% of the time I can get the data back. Yeah. On an SSD, it's generally got to go out to somebody. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. That is the caveat of SSDs. I'd probably say that's the number one caveat, Um, you know, but the failure rates are just so much lower that it's just much less likely, you know, plus with the advent of, of all these backup solutions um, that gives customers another great, you know, way to avoid that kind of thing. You know, I obviously the more and more customers that are back up their data to the cloud, that's reducing business like ours of retrieving their data when they lose it, you know, but I think cloud backup services are great. Um, So so you're absolutely right about that caveat of the SSD, but I, I think that it, it's still worth it. You know, I am a hundred percent on, on team solid state drive. I would not let my wife walk out of here with my, out of the house, you know, with a regular hard drive in her computer. If any family member ever asks me to, you know, advice on buying a computer, the number one thing it's like, you must do is have a solid state drive. You know, I'll look at everything else for him. But to me, that's, that's the number one. I, I, I cannot under, I cannot overstate how much I, believe in solid state drives because they're like the number one thing that you can do to legitimately speed up a machine. I mean, you can buy faster and faster process processors and that definitely helps. Um, but every time somebody calls in and says, Hey, you know, I want to buy more Ram, speed up my computer. I'm like, no, that's, that's not what you want to do. Let's put a solid state drive in there and you'll be floored at the difference in performance. You know, that's something that has a, a significant effect. Adding more Ram has an effect go into a solid state drive, it's like, you know, it's like a horse in a buggy versus a NASCAR stock engine. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's crazy. I, I agree with you 100%. I think that, uh, I, once I went SSD, i never wanted to go back. So I definitely have drank the Kool-Aid it, it, and it's, again, it's one of those things where you're, you're right with backups, with proper backups. The problem is a lot of, especially residential customers, tend to not want to pay for this stuff. And it's like, what? And I have to explain to them, they, they, they ask me, well, why do I need to back up? Let me ask you a question. Everything that's on your computer right now, all the pictures of your grandkids, all the documents you've done, all of your tax returns for the last 15 years, if you lost all that stuff today, would it bother you at all? You know, oh yeah, it would tear me up. That's why you need to back up. I can't make it any clearer than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're a thousand percent right. I'm, I'm very much, a, you know, personally, I use Google Drive. Actually, I think I use Google Drive, iCloud, and Dropbox right now. But I'm, I'm mostly using Google Drive, and I store everything there. You know, it's convenient because I sync it between my machines, so my laptop and my desktop are constantly syncing, so I can save something on my laptop or my desktop and hop outside of my laptop, and it's immediately right there. You know, that's a convenience factor. Plus it's backing up to the cloud, which is absolutely great. But as far as the, as far as the SSD thing, you know, we, we've been pushing SSDs for a long time. 
And we frankly have not had many customers come back because of failures, right? You know, I, I think I would change my tune if I was getting a lot of people coming back saying, hey, you know, you guys upgraded to SSD, it crashed. What do you mean you can't get my data? You know, that's terrible. I lost all my stuff. You know, we're just not seeing that happen very often. Um, I can't remember the last time I did hear about that happening, you know, across all eight of our stores. You know, so I think that the reliability is, is really getting stepped up. Um, you know, I think, I think our Raleigh store is actually getting one of those, uh, devices that allows us to do some data recoveries from SSDs. So we could probably implement that when it fit, when those things start failing. Um, but you know, I, I just, I think that that risk is, is kind of minimal right now. Okay. It, it, and I'll say that with, um, you know, and obviously with eight stores, you're doing a lot more business than I am. But I found the same thing with Western Digital Black Drives or HDST 2.5-inch uh, drives. I don't get any of those back. And so they're they're perfectly, you know, good running drives. And that's the reason I don't let the customer choose. Here, do you want the Seagate of the month or do you want the, when there's no Mac store or anything, but all these different brands. No, here's what you're going to get. Because I know the failure rate on this is low. Now, I wonder, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, I wonder if the failure rate is a little bit lower at this point because there's not as many SSDs out there? I, I would say that, you know, that I think, I think SSDs have very much matured. I don't, I don't know the exact percentage of SSDs out there or how many computers are being shipped with SSDs versus not. I would, if I owned a manufacturing company, I put an SSD in everything, right? I don't know why people are, besides, you know, data storage, I don't know why people are, are still using hard drives. You know, we still obviously get customers who are photographers or this and that reason you need a ton of storage. But, you know, I, I would put it in every single thing that almost anyone owned. You know, I think that they have been out for, for quite a while. I think they've definitely run the races and, and been put through the, the paces there um, to try to try and, and get them pegging failures. Uh, about your comment about Seagate drives, I, I've actually heard a, a number of that lately. It's it's funny because back when I worked at, at SAS, you know, they had about ten thousand people at the company, right? And so one of one of the things that um, the the I guess the manager of the hardware division there did was did a case study. I think we had uh, like I think it was a Dell D630 at the time, and they bought, I don't know, let's say they bought 2,000 of them, and they had a 1,000 of them had Seagate drives, and a 1,000 of them had Western Digital drives, and then basically compared the failure rate over uh, over a couple years, and they actually had a much better performance out of the Seagate drives. So I was always on Team Seagate over Western Digital, just straight up from the numbers, but you know, I have had or heard a number of people lately kind of crapping on Seagate and going more towards Western Digital. And I've also seen those, you know, at, I always considered HGST more of a relatively unknown brand, but I actually have seen a lot of numbers supporting them as one of the leaders in, in performance, too. So you're very much on team Western Digital and not, not Seagate? Well, it's funny because, I mean, Western Digital owns uh, HGST now, but um, yeah, they were the... Uh... Oh, I'm I, I'm drawing a blank. The the whole the uh, Hitachi drives. Okay. So they've been around for quite a quite a long time. But I uh, know I used to be a Seagate fan. I loved Seagate. 
because they were a little bit cheaper than Western Digital's and their performance was out of this world compared to Western Digital's at the time. But then I started getting where within six to eight months, I'm getting failed drive after drive. And I'm like, oh, what is going on? And I know it's electronics, manufacturing processes. They're trying to get their bottom line. And that's the problem I have with a lot of these cheap computers. Going back to what you said about putting an SSD in everything, the reason they don't is because of cost. And not for the cost of necessarily the company, because the company would be better off doing it that way. It's the cheap customers that don't want to pay a little bit extra for getting better solid performance. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a good point, you know, and then, you know, you, you especially if you offer it online with a regular hard drive and then you give them the option to upgrade to an SSD, you know, for an extra fee, you can tack on some more money. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I can see how, you know, having tiered options makes sense. Um, you know, I just, I think that every machine should have an SSD. <laughs> well, and I think when you're building a machine, here's the, here's the difference too. I think you don't give them a choice. Like if you go to Dell.com or HP or whatever, you don't give them a choice of an SSD. The, the time where that doesn't make sense is maybe in a big box store, like a, a Best Buy or whomever. And they've got all these machines and they need to move them. Well, if they've got all these machines that are priced at whatever, $600, let's say on average, instead of $300. And I don't, it, these are numbers I'm pulling out of my head. So they're not true numbers, but then you've got an office max that's selling the machines for $400. And the difference is the hard drive, but it looks like the same performance based on everything else. Well, I'm going to go to office max and pick up my laptop versus going to Best Buy. So I, I, I agree with you. I think we need to move over. And I think SSDs is where it's at. And it's it's definitely here to stay. And it's definitely worth their performance. And there are things that I think we are going to get here in the near future that is going to be able to retrieve that information. But again, I'm all about backup. I'm all about backup. Backup, backup, backup. If you want your stuff back, you got to back it up. That almost sound like a Carbonite commercial. They offer a good product, you know, just like solid state drives really are much better than hard drives. And that's one of the things you should invest some money in. You know, you absolutely should invest $10 a month in one of these backup solutions. You know, it'll, it could save you a ton later or save you a bunch of headache or just be more convenient. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's insurance for your machine. Absolutely. All right. So let's go ahead and let's talk about maybe some of the favorite tools, software, hardware that you and your guys use in your shops. Frankly, a lot of the stuff that we use these days, I don't I don't even know. We've gotten some very techie uh, employees lately who have overrun my knowledge of things and done some improving upon that. Um, but I mean, we, we use a number of different tools for a number of different purposes for a number of different devices, you know, computers specifically, um, let me see, what's, what's the best way to start hardware software? You know, we, we, I always love the, the spludgers and the iFixit tools. Those are great. You know, we've got our own specific brands of, uh, screwdrivers that we enjoy using, prefer using, you know, you've got all the, all the basic stuff, um. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a lot of the tools are, are, are common, you know, and which is there a particular area that, you know, you had a question about what we're like, using in tools? Or something? Yeah. Like, uh, let's say uh hard drive cloning. Gotcha. 
Yes, hard drive cloning um, on Macs. I know we use what's the name of it? We used to use Super Duper, and now we use. Uh, it's got a blue logo. The name is escaping me, but you know, I I love cloning on Macs. That's easy for PCs. You know, we use Acronis. Um, you know, that's a great utility. I think someone else, one of my texts was just telling me about a different one that he used the other day. I think it was maybe Clonezilla or if it was Clonezilla is a good one too, or a different one. But yeah, I mean, we, I think between our stores, we use just a number of different things. I think we've got a pretty set list of things that we do, but frankly, we don't do too many clones on PCs. Really the only time we're cloning it is if it's a great, if it's a good hard drive, we're upgrading them to an SSD. And if I could get those customers to come in, absolutely I would because I think it's a perfect service for everyone. But most of the time we're putting an SSD in someone's computer, they've got a bad hard drive. So we're doing a reinstall anyway. And I think reinstalls are great ways to go around uh, to make machines a lot faster. Um, So yeah, I mean, we use a a bunch of different testing utilities. You know, we'll use HDD Regenerator or Parted Magic to test hard drives. Um, We started getting some some uh, equipment in our shops that does advanced data recovery that can actually do some some on-the-spot smart analysis and sector analysis. Those are great tools that we like to use. Um, you know, for we use CPU stress tests and GPU stress tests. You know, we do Windows memory diagnostic for for memory tests, and you know, we've got some hard uh, some hardware you devices to do uh, power supply testing. I think you know, there's a couple generic ones that most of us use. Um, I don't know of too many specialty things that we use these days, frankly. I think a lot of it, at at least in my opinion, I just consider a lot of it generic. Um, But I'd be happy to go into any particular area if you had a question about one of them. Well, I'm I'm just thinking, so like hard drive cloning, do you use any hardware to do that or is it all all software-based? I think it's all software-based. I don't think we use any, yeah. Gotcha. I know some people have been talking here probably in the last probably the last couple of years, but uh, actually getting hard drive duplicators where you can throw a couple of drives in, take it from a uh, spinning drive to an SSD, move everything over, pop the SSD in, and uh, call it done. But I'm with you. Every time I'm getting a computer in, it's because it's got a bad drive, not, hey, it's slow. You know, not necessarily that it's just slow. Yeah, and I think that's exactly when we use Acronis or Clonezilla to do that. Um, but you know, we're not getting massive amounts of those in. I think if we if we had business accounts, we do a lot of we almost entirely do B to C. Um, so we're not we don't have too many business accounts set up. And I think if we did, that's when you you know you would you would talk to their tech liaison and be like, hey, you guys have fifty computers in your office. Let's take all of them to SSDs. And if you're doing that regularly, yeah, you know, we, we definitely need to invest heavier in some cloning devices, um, you know, but we, we mainly help consumers, not that I wouldn't welcome business accounts, but we mainly help consumers. Um, and, you know, if, if I had the advertising budget to get on TV every day and tell everyone to come up, upgrade to SSDs, I absolutely would, but, would, but most of the time we're convincing the people that have bad hard drives already um, to go that route. You know, Matt, it's it's funny. I you're you're breaking all of the stereotypes today. I just want you to realize that, okay? Because because you're you're talking. Are you telling me that a business nowadays can actually survive on B two C instead of just B two B like everybody else is promoting? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I think that I think that 
I think that's where the franchising comes in. I think that's where the the processes and the corporate aspects come in because I think the way that you survive is to, you know, is to streamline things and is to have a, a marketing team support behind you and have the accounting, you know, built in and to to you know, have all of these answers and things figured out. You know, we yeah, we absolutely survive on B2C these days. You know, I think a lot of the B2B you know, they always want someone to go on site. They want someone to do networking. You know, would it, are they often very lucrative to have? Yeah, they're, they're usually lucrative to have. But, you know, that's not how we make money. We make money doing the, there's a million ways to make money. And the way that we do it is by helping individual consumers, you know. And I think that individually owned repair shops are moving more and more into the business to business space out of necessity. Because, you know, there's a lot more competition in the market. And frankly, the competition that tends to be coming in is is advanced. You know, it's it's C, chains like CPR and chains like um, you break iFix, you know, and chains. I, I, there's another half dozen chains that are mostly smartphone repair that also are doing computer repair now, which are making the landscape a lot more competitive. And frankly, most of the time they do a pretty good job. Um, you know, I think that your average independently owned computer repair shop, I think will do a much better job on computer repair than these other chains. But the chains have figured out the processes in which to bring customers in the door and streamline repairs. And that's why they're pulling up business, right? And that's why I really believe in the franchising model, because what I would love to do is go to every single independently owned repair shop and be like, look, I know if you are the tech here and you handle the computer repair aspect of things, like I know you know how to do, we'll handle the business aspect of things. And that's a perfect pairing to combat all the, the smartphone repair shops that tend to be taking over, right? That's why I, I very much believe on it. So I'm not trying to break all the stereotypes here. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm forging my own path. And so far it's been, it's been working pretty well. And I think we've got a good roadmap for the future um in addition yeah and i think what you said too is that there's a lot of people who have to realize that there is a there's different ways to do this business just like you said and you can do this business any way you feel fit and i believe there's enough room in the marketplace i said this for a, many many years now i don't believe in competition per se and the reason i say that is because you can take any area in any shop and there's more people in that area than any shop, I don't care what size they are, can actually handle. Today, in most markets, yes, I agree with you. I think in general across the country, that's very true. And I think that's why these smartphone repair chains are are growing so fast. And I think that's why there's so many people who open a shop or two. You know, I throw my name in the mix. <laughs> they open a shop or two and like, hey, I can open 10 of these. And, and you know, they just start opening them. Because I think that you're absolutely right. There is a lot of room in this industry to grow. But I think what it's being taken over with, I, I think that, however, not all markets are like that. I think that Florida has started to get very saturated. Um, and so I think that there, there, there is more and more competition. But I think it's moving also towards larger repair shops that do a higher revenue. You know, I, I, I have no idea what, what your shop does, and I won't specify exactly what mine do. But I think the average one of these chains um, does a lot higher monthly gross revenue 
than the average independently owned repair shop does. And what that means is they're bringing in more customers and they're getting more people in the door, you know, because it's more of a, it's more of the experience that a customer is used to, right? It's more of a professional service experience. It's more, you know, the lobbies are cleaner and nicely organized. It, you know, it's, it's not, you know, oh yeah, I take my computers to Mike. He's a, you know, great tech down the street. It's more of like, a brand that people are starting to become associated with. And I think that's exactly how this industry is maturing and what it's morphing into. And I think that these smartphone repair chains are going to start putting all these independent repair shops out of business. You know, I've seen a number of them go out of business even in the last four years. And, you know, even though you're absolutely right, there's still a lot of room in this industry. I think that more and more markets are going to start to see more and more of these chains come in and, and feel the pressure and then absolutely find different things to do, um, to survive. And that's, you know, that, that's why I really believe in the franchising models. Cause like I said, I would love to bring all the computer repair shops together and fight the smartphone repair chains. I mean, we fix phones too, but you know, fight back from the or text first kind of computer text first kind of approach. It's funny because I won't touch a smartphone to save my life as far as fixing it. I, I mess with them a couple times and I'm just like, you know what, for me and the amount of time I have to do it, it's just not worth it for me. Now, that's not to say that there are many businesses and many friends of mine who have smartphone repair and that's the majority of their business and they've got a process set up and it's very, you know, it's, it's quick and easy and they've got it down to me. I'm like going, it's hard enough for me to pull apart a laptop and look at all this small components and things in there. Well, it's exactly like you said, and that, and you touched on exactly why smartphone repair chains have started taking over. It's quick, easy, good money, because you know there's how many computer models exist. You know, thousands, hundreds of thousands. You got to diagnose a problem. There's so many different problems. You got to stock a bunch of different parts. You know, when you get to the smartphone repair business, eighty percent of the market is iPhone repair. And, you know, now there's, what, five models that are commonly repaired and 80, 90 percent of the problems are cracked screens, right? Sure, you get Galaxies and LGs and you got charging ports, but it becomes very easy to stock parts and to train technicians on very specific things. You know, you can take somebody who's never been a tech in their life and in 30 days, you know, they're fixing an iPhone in 20 minutes. And when you're charging $80 labor, you know, maybe a hundred bucks, $20 part, $80 labor for someone that you train in 30 days and they're knocking those out in 20 minutes, it's all about how many jobs you can bring in. And so it's, it's, you know, that's, that's, it, it allows itself perfectly to the chain business. And that's why so many of these smartphone repair companies have popped up. And then as competition increases, they're like, look, we need to find more ways to make money. So they branch into computer repair and other things. Um, and that's where it starts affecting, you know, our core business. Well, I, I have a prediction. I'm going to come up with a prediction right here, right now in 2017, but I'm going to predict in the, in the not so distant future that as soon as people understand when they buy a $700 plus device and they should spend it minimum $20 to put a decent case on there, a lot of those cracked screens will actually go away. I, I couldn't disagree with you more actually because i think you put way too much faith into people you know i think that people absolutely know they should put a case just like they absolutely know they should have one of those backup solutions but they don't you know there are those cases are you know everywhere there's so many 
Chinese companies just manufacturing those things like crazy. You know, I, I don't live in New York anymore, but I used to live in New York and you walk down the streets and every single one of those street booths, street vendors was selling accessories out the wazoo, right? I think there's a prevalence of cases. I think people just don't like them or they'll take it out or it'll break anyway. Or, you know, I think that I, you know, I think that people are going to continue breaking those things. I think what might threaten the smartphone repair industry is, you know, either a different type of glass that breaks dramatically less, um, or things like what Apple's reporting to possibly do by maybe building in the home button of the next iPhone to the screen and then adding code specifically designed to make it so that if you replace the screen, the home button will not work unless it's calibrated in one of their special machines, right? In an, in an interest to, to lock down the repair market. You know, there's been a lot of legislation, right to repair legislation lately. And Apple's been in the news a lot for some of the stuff that they've done to try to basically kill off these third-party independent repair shops. And so far, you know, they've had to step back from all these different things that they've done. But if they slip something like that in there, that could have a dramatic effect. And, you know, maybe somebody takes them to court and says, hey, you know, this isn't fair. You're basically doing it this way so that shops can't repair phones. But, you know, something like that gets tied up in court. How many businesses are, that are fixing phones are going to go out of business by the time that that actually sees a verdict, right? So it, it's stuff like that, I think, that will threaten the smartphone repair industry. Um, but, you know, that's that's one of the – also the big reasons where I love coming into this industry from a computer repair aspect first and then adding smartphones on top is that, you know, we're, we're much better poised to – change with the times if smartphones go away, you know, because we're, we're computer repair first. Um, plus I think computer repair is, is a much more difficult industry for all the re for all the reasons that make it easy to open a chain of smartphone repair stores. It makes it difficult to do computer repair well at scale. Um, so I have no idea what the smartphone repair industry will, will do. I will not, yeah, I'm not going to flatter myself to try to make a prediction, but those those are those are the worries that I would have, um, especially if I owned a, a business who was almost exclusively smartphone repair. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. There's a lot to that. I I think that uh, there might be things that come down the road that are going to make it a little more uh, difficult for small repair shops to be able to do smartphone repair. So. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I know that it was back in the day and it wasn't that long ago. It was probably only within the last couple of years. You could get a small, uh, a phone for $200, $150, $100 on a contract. Well, I don't know any companies that do actual contracts anymore. Everybody's going, hey, now you can lease the phone. You don't actually own it. You can lease it. So from that standpoint, yeah. So from that standpoint, I look at it and I go, okay, I have a lease device in my hand if i break it it means i need to not only lease another device i still need to finish paying off this device so guess what i'm gonna go to amazon i'm gonna spend 20 bucks and put a case on it because i i can't afford to have 30 dollars a piece on two different phones 60 bucks a month for one phone that's broken and another phone that's that's working until i break that screen if if that was I, I if that was consumer behavior, you're right. That would that would be very logical. I just don't think consumers behave that logically all the time. You know, I the, the what worries me about these um, 
contracts and stuff like that is you're absolutely right. You could upgrade your two-year contract. You got your phone for 200 bucks. Um, and the repair issue was great, but now, you know, where you can't do that, your options are buying it outright or doing the leases, like you said. And I don't think leases are great for customers, but, you know, I think it's rare that people buy their phones outright. You know, I, I, I bought mine outright, but that's, I just sold the one that I bought the year before outright, you know, for good money because I owned it. Right. But these leases, the things get thrown in. First of all, they cost the consumer more money in the long run. And then as far as repair shops go, a lot of times they include Apple Care in there, which makes it more difficult for repair shops to come in. Or they include some other kind of insurance, um, you know, which makes it more difficult to compete with. Um, but, you know, I think it, it definitely draws that gray line of ambiguity of how much do I actually own this phone versus how much am I leasing it versus paying off? And what do I rights do I have in terms of repairing and selling? And, you know, I, I can see why they did it, because people would prefer to be like, wait, I don't have to pay $200. I don't have to pay $800. I can just pay $30 today and get a new phone. Sure, let's do it. Right. You know, that that's that's an easier sell for a customer. But I, I you know, it's just not the best solution long term for customers. I don't think. Exactly. I, I'm sure there's going to be an iteration that's going to that's going to morph down the road too. that's going to kind of change that, because I think eventually there's going to be some pushback. I understand that as a as a nation, we are uh, used to basically paying per month for whatever we have. But, you know, there comes a point when you're paying so many things per month that you're like, okay, enough is enough is enough. So we'll, we'll definitely see, but it, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I look at it going back to what we were talking about earlier, though. I, I look at it as a relational type uh, or my business as relational as far as I just want the customers that I want to work with and that want to work with me. And you know what? Those customers are loyal to the point where they pay my rates. They don't balk at it. They just, they, a lot of times though, uh, you're not charging me enough and they'll tell me, you know, charge, charge me more. Okay. You know, okay. I'll do, make sure you send me a bill. Okay. I'll make sure I do that. Um, you know, for the things that I do for them on a regular basis. So I look at, I'm going to have X amount of customers within my area that are going to be my customers unless for whatever reason we have some sort of falling out. And I, I believe every business is like that. Really? I, I just want to know where you're finding your customers and where I can get some of those that ask me to send them higher bills. <laughs> you know, I think, no, I, I think what you're saying, I mean, that's great. It sounds like you're, you know, you, it sounds like you've definitely established a great client base and you're, you're in a great place where you can, you know, you have the luxury of, of picking and choosing your customers more and, um, it sounds like you've got great customers who really trust your experience um, and everything like that, you know, and and we try to do the same things. You know, we we as a company always try to treat our customers right, give them fair pricing. You know, we're, we're interested in gaining this customer for a lifetime, just just like you, of course, are. And that's exactly how you got that base. Right. It's we don't always have the luxury of of, of turning down customers that we would not choose necessarily to work with i kind of sometimes wish we could because unfortunately there are some more more difficult ones out there you know but we try to we accommodate you know pretty much every problem but you you know it sounds like you're in a, a great place and you've got a great customer base that has a lot of faith and loyalty in you so you know congrats on, on building that up well i i think too it, it you know it's i mean this is the second area that i've lived in and i've i've been able to to build a enough of a base to make me comfortable in what I do. But I, I will tell you, as far as getting rid of the 
the other customers, it's very, very easy to do. All I do is I charge them some more money until it gets to the point where they just don't want to pay that anymore. <laughs> but you know, it, I'm, I'm all kidding aside. I understand too, from a standpoint of when you have, uh, obviously these other businesses and stuff you have, they, they are brick and mortar shops, correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. They're all brick and mortar. So there is, there's a lot more costs to go into that. Foot traffic is going to be uh, monumental to these businesses. And you've got to be able to take in a variety of customers where I am, I work out of my home and I can go on site. And so that makes a huge difference in what I'm, what I want to do versus what I have to do. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. <laughs> All right. So Matt, I, I think we're, we're coming up to a, probably almost a little bit over an hour here, but what are maybe some business tips that have worked for you over the years that you could share with the audience that they might get something out of that? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's definitely a ton of things that I've learned either the easy way or the hard way over the years, you know, as, as, as far as just choosing a few in particular, you know, one of the things that I've always focused on with our new stores is the cash flow, you know, the cash flow, dictates the rest of the business. You know, I spend a lot of time trying to processitize my business and try to, you know, improve with long term. And like I said, build relationships with customers so they'll keep coming back to us for the rest of their life. But, you know, if, if the cash flow is not positive, the game ends early. Right. So I would say for anyone looking to start their own shop or, you know, younger shops getting set up that need tips, you know, just keep that in mind realize that no matter how much you're investing in the, your business's long-term success, it's all going to end a lot quicker if, uh, if your expenses are outranking your profits on, you know, at, at a pace that's unsustainable, um, especially in the beginning. So, you know, that's a good generic tip. You know, I would also say, you know, a, focus on your reputation. You know, besides that, I think that making sure that every customer that you are coming across has a great experience and making sure they share that experience. You know, it's, it's frankly a lot easier to give a customer a good experience than it is to get them to share that experience. You know, I would say that make sure that if you are providing that superior customer service and you are doing them a great job, make sure that they're sharing that through an online review, through word of mouth, right? Because that's, that's what's going to help you grow organically. And that's, what's going to get people trusting you more, right? Just like you said, you know, your customers are coming asking for higher bills and making sure they paid enough, right. And not balking at your, at your prices. It's because they trust you and they, they know that you're going to do a good job. And, you know, we've definitely learned that the customers that we get from referrals or that have browsed and seen our reputation, they're a lot more, they're a lot easier to work with. You know, they, they, they give us less of a hard time. You know, they balk less at prices, they, you know, whatever it is across the board because they realize that, hey, you know, this is a reputable company where I'm getting a good service from. And so, you know, showing that off and trying to get each one of your customers to to tell their friends, um, I think is definitely something that every business should do to be sustainable in the long term. So, yeah, there's two quick tips for you. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, Matt. I want to uh, really thank you for coming on the show and taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us today. It's been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. All right. You guys can find me on the Google Plus at Jeffrey Hellish or Twitter at TechNutPC. And if you'd like to be a guest like Matt was, you can send an email to guest at podnuts.com. 
And I want to thank our sponsor, Instant House Call, for this episode of Podnuts Daily. Don't forget, if you guys need business paperwork to get you started in your computer repair business, then check out the link for the Technible Computer Business Kit over at podnets.com slash deals. And if you want to help support the Podnets Network by giving just a dollar a month through our subscribe button over at podnets.com or patreon.com forward slash podnuts. And I want to thank everyone for listening and subscribing to the show. We'll see you next time on Podnets Daily. Music provided by Steve Cherubino at stevecherubino.com.